Hi, What The Health Tech listeners, I'm Rhiannon Hoyes. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in health and social care. This week we have another special episode. As the podcast reaches its 52nd episode, we want to take a moment to reflect on the range of experts working across health and social care. So this week it's all about helping those making a difference day to day and how Radar Healthcare works in partnership with organisations to do this. Part of the problem and one of the biggest risks with software implementation is they don't happen overnight, mm. they take time. And people often forget that key objective, that key reason for purchase. What's the reason why you have brought the software into your organisation? And because software costs, and, and it's not cheap, you know, usually the people that purchase and make those purchasing decisions are in those sort of senior levels. So what they're thinking about is how do we, how do we improve our organisation? They then pass this down to a different team to actually implement. The idea there is that then there's a disconnect. So all of a sudden, you're now not speaking to people that have made those buying decisions. Whereas if you identify the objective and the outcomes initially, while everybody's in the room, you can always bring people back to that point. And I think that's sort of the approach that, that certainly I try to take, and I know that we're trying to take a lot, lot more at Radar Healthcare. Um. I think as with all processes, it is entirely dependent on the organisation and I think that the mistake a lot of organisations make is they try to mirror what other organisations have done. What they need to do is take a step back. So one of the first things that we always advise people do is identify the outcomes that they're trying to get to. So I think people make a decision or are told that they're going to bring a system in and they immediately jump to launching it and everyone using it and it being a really happy family and it's, it's all going to be absolutely brilliant. What they need to do is take a step back and understand where they're trying to get to, why they're trying to get there, why they've decided on a system in the first instance and work backwards to make sure that they're able to achieve that. So you need to make sure that the system or systems you've chosen will help you to meet your outcomes. That is the first question that you need to be asking. You need to make sure that you've got a really strong implementation team um, because they are going to champion the new system once you've chosen it. They'll have to have an internal sponsor. They'll have to have a project manager. They'll have to have someone who's involved quite heavily in integration, in making sure that any integrations with other systems are sound and work how you want them to work. And that integration team is responsible for making sure that the project is resourced properly, um, that there are no conflicts in what you're trying to achieve with other parts of the business, um, that you have a very solid succession plan in place so that if people leave the business, it doesn't have a negative impact on the project overall. If you look at the radar healthcare system, for example, one of the things we're quite keen on is selling the positive outcomes of using that system as opposed to the negative outcomes. So typically where you've got a compliance system, people think compliance negative, I'm going to get whacked over the head with a big stick every time I do something wrong and it's written in stone. If you look at the positive outcomes, we encourage people to record compliments as an event. And people love giving compliments. It's quite it's quite addictive to give people compliments. So if you can sell the positive aspects of that system to those individuals, if they start to receive compliments as a result of using the system, if they start to see that they're able to save time in reducing the amount of paperwork they need to do because systems are integrated so they all talk to each other so you're not having to do something 10 times, then they will see the value 
to their role, it will free up time so that they're able to put more time into caring and helping people, which is, at the end of the day, that's what we want them to do. That's what they're paid to do. And over time, they will see the value of that. But a new system, if you've never seen it before, it's like anything, you know, we, we, we naturally, you know, we're naturally curious in terms of how we explore tech, you know, your phone or something that you're using. You don't tend to go off and read a training manual on how to use a new app or something like that on your phone. And what we try and do is, one, make sure that the task somebody's trying to do is clear and simple and easy to achieve within the product. So that's the first thing. But then we also also support it with inbuilt training. So rather than you going off and have to, having to read or use a guide or have somebody having to train you, we have what's called a digital adoption platform. So you can almost get the product to walk you through the tasks you were trying to do in the first place. So for example, you might want to raise an, let's say you want to raise an incident and you want to raise a fall and you've never done it before. You can literally just go into radar, click on, you know, click on a button, raise a fall, and it'll walk you through all the steps that you need to do. So you literally have never seen the system before in your life. You don't need to have anybody train you. It will walk you through how to how to complete that task. And that combined with the usability and the design element should mean that actually not that the, not that there's no you know, there's no learning curve, but that learning curve is very much reduced and somebody should just be able to do whatever the task is. The task is, you know, should be as simple as possible. I suppose, do you see then post an implementation, do you see reporting levels increase because now people have greater confidence to do that? Does that, does that occur? Uh, yeah, if you look at customers when they come on board, typically you, you might actually see kind of a little bit of a dip to begin with in the first couple of weeks as people kind of, that maybe it's not kind of rolled out, and then you suddenly see like the, the the spike as people start to use the system and start start to report on it. I think there's a there's a couple of things to it from a usability point of view. Obviously, it's easy to report. It's how you're then communicating the fact that you've got this new system out and UI. That is the mechanism for reporting. That tends to be where you see the the drop off. I suppose that's um, the, the kind of outcome of that is not only are you managing more effectively, but now you've got a richer data set that you can yeah. then act upon. Does that is that also a case? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the point of the, the fundamental point of raising these things in the first place is not capturing data for data's sake, is if you don't have a mechanism behind it where it's helping you learn, understand and act and implement change so that you reduce whatever the thing is that was being put into the system in the first place, then, you know, that that, that is the entire purpose of what we're doing here is to create a system which feeds back into that loop of going people are raising it you want people to be raising as much as possible because that's feeding on knowledge for want of a better way of describing it but you know your perception of what's happening in your organization you're then implementing you know ideally things that mitigate whatever those risks were in the first place sharing those learnings i think when we spoke to the nrls about that thing of you know, how do i make sure that i share the learnings in the organization so that i am reducing falls or incidents or whatever whatever that looks like for us as radar if we if we just keep that the hat on at the minute of you know we're, we're about kind of risk management it would be about us actually supporting organizations as they start to utilize some of this other technology that's out there and start to broaden that risk and start to ensure that actually we're we're, we're removing that kind of legacy admin manual you know task and freeing them up to focus on the things that again drive that outcome, which is we, what are we going to do differently? How are we going to you know, change? How are we going to implement things that should impact on patient safety? And then Radar being the tool to allow you to understand, did this thing that I 
put in place make a difference or not? And if so, what difference? Because I think, again, that's a big thing of it's tough to evidence where you're doing things and doing things well and being able to kind of almost corroborate, well, this was valuable time spent and we did the right thing. Touching on some of the other things we talked about with the NRLS and the other podcasts, that thing of I'm able to evidence where good care had an impact, you'll then be able to take that and you'll be able to push that out into the radar community and then understand what impact it had for them as well. So, you know, this had a great great impact in Trust One, right, we're going to put it into the rest of the trusts, what impact did it have there? How do we change it? How do we take the learnings we had from putting it into other trusts and feed it back in? And it's that mechanism, that loop of constantly learning and constantly changing what you're doing. It's a busy time for everybody. I mean, it has been phenomenal growth, um, which is great because it just means that, you know, we're, we're having a bigger impact in the industry and working with more and more partners, stroke our customers. Um, no, I never get bored. I, I love this thing. Um, like I said, I think it's just we're having such a positive impact. So can you talk a little bit ha- what that actually means when we say person-centred design? What What's the process and how do you apply that when you're defining what the next innovation or how the system's going to work as it may be? Yeah, I guess for us... It's user centered design, so it's about it's about kind of bringing those people in at the at the start of the journey to develop the product, which I guess includes understanding the, the starting point is what problem are you try to fix, and in the nicest sense, understanding what that problem is comes from them, not us. We are, you know we don't do it, we don't we, we don't we don't do that as a job, we don't live in that environment. Um, so it's it's that around well, actually, what what are we trying to fix here? What's the, what's the what's the problem? And then as part of that journey of developing a product, it's understanding, well, if we did this, would this fix your problem? And and would it fix it in an efficient way right the way through to us then developing the tech that does that and then involving them in the design of it? So right the way, right the way through to almost like prototyping where I'm sitting, you know, Paul, you've said to me, oh, I've got this problem what I want to fix. And we go, well, look, we've designed this thing. Do you think this is the sort of thing that would help you? And you go, well, no, that doesn't quite work. Or actually you've completely missed the point or you've got the process wrong. And it's almost that iterative cycle of we're all we're always kind of ensuring that what we're doing is is put back through you as that customer or user to help inform the next bit of development that we do. And that, as I say, involves a design session, so we have workshops and things like that, right the way through to what we call betas. So that'd be, as I say, you know, is is we've we've built a little bit of something here, Paul. Why do you have a play around with it? See if it works for you. And that helps ensure that when we develop something, you know, don't get me wrong, we don't always get it right, but it's it's much closer to solving that problem and delivering the value sooner as well. So it makes sure that actually when we develop something, we you know, if your if your problem is X and actually it's really quick for us to fix 80% of that problem, we don't try and wait forever to fix the hundred percent. We go, look, you know, this'll fix most of your problem. Here you go. And it's that kind of ethos. And then from a usability point of view, that also helps with, well, this button's in the wrong place. It'd be easy if I clicked here and, you know, I don't understand these things and what you're showing me. Right. I suppose, just to be clear, I suppose, as well as this is all derived off the back of a core platform and functionality that satisfies, you know, what percentage of people's general requirements. And then is it development? Is it configuration? What What's what's making these, you know, solving these actual problems? Um, I mean, for us, it can be difficult. It could be an entirely new module. It could be something where we're building something specific to answer a, a, a problem that, you know, maybe it's kind of similar to what we do at the minute in terms of kind of compatible with the product. Or it could be, as you say, we we, we understand that they've got a, 
you know, a problem that they need to fix. And so we configure our platform in the way it can be configured to just answer that specific specific problem. Obviously, the way we work um, is the way the product works, is it is almost like a toolkit that you can then kind of configure to fix different problems within an organization. Obviously, at the minute, healthcare. At the end of each sprint, so every 15 days, just remember, remember the listeners uh, that, you know, we got two week sprints. Um, we do uh, have a meeting in which we share our feedback mm-hmm. from what we've done in the last 15 days. So the feedback can be about anything. So this is the, the good thing. Like, um, So the whole idea of that meeting is see how we can improve for the next meeting, oh sorry, for the next sprint, and then um, see what we need to do and put in place that help us to be more productive, to uh, tackle some of the risk or issues that we identify. Um, in that respect, I must say that one thing that you probably like about it is uh, that we create this culture in, within the company, within the team, in which it's sort of a flat structure mm-hmm. that anybody can say anything, anything that crosses your mind. And I think that helps because uh, the feedback is so valuable to us that we can take it and say, okay, we can create an action out of this uh, feedback. Or actually. It's just nice to hear this because not all the feedback is uh, about things that we found that don't work. Sometimes the feedback is very positive, like uh, the teen spirit, for example. That's yeah. something that usually come up a lot. And you've got from a how do you get that patient-centric data to be shared amongst all of that ecosystem? Uh, it'd be interesting to get your kind of views on what's how should systems be built? You know, what when we say interoperable, what does that actually mean? Yeah. You know, from, from your perspective. Um, I mean, there's a few bits in there. First, out, so technically, there's obviously standards, so like Fire HL7, that type of thing, where you're saying, actually, this thing that I procure, this thing I buy, has the capability to then integrate with something else. That doesn't necessarily mean that then that integration then happens. So I think it's part of how you procure something. If, if part of that procurement is you fundamentally need this thing to integrate with X, Y, and Z, then that should be what part of whatever that... What, whatever that process is and you, perhaps you need evidence that that actually is going to happen rather than you know, ticking it at first value that yes well, you know, we can integrate with x y and z actually can you integrate with x y and z and i think the standards and a way to evidence as suppliers that we meet those standards so things like dtac i think is coming like that that type of thing where you've got you've got a way of helping make sure that whoever's in charge of procurement is making making those right decisions but I think it, it's probably bigger than that again in the sense of in the NHS especially you've got all of these independent trusts who've also got independent procurement teams who don't necessarily have or there isn't a big picture in terms of well, what actually what are we doing collectively to implement technology so this trust merges with another, merges with another trust and this one's got one electronic patient record this one doesn't have one but it's just about to procure another and it, it and then you, they both fit together and suddenly the two things are incompatible with each other i mean that shouldn't happen you know in the nicest sense if there's if there's no communication about what things are being bought and for what reason and there's no kind of overarching vision on what we're trying to do then you're always going to just bump up against issues where people have the wrong thing for one of a better way of describing it is that a, is that an educational thing then so because one of the things that always occurs to me is that when when we start a partnership with a care organization quite yeah. often it's people on the front line that are driving that demand um and so when people are procuring these lots of different systems because they might be solving other problems and then 
so is it an education thing to procure, right through the organisation yeah, from procurement to ensuring? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's it's and where, where does that responsibility sit within the care organisation? It's again, I think I, I bring it up again personal view. I, I, I bring it up a level. If if there's kind of a national standard that any supplier needs to adhere to, and that concept of interoperability. You need to be able to evidence you can you can do it. So you know if you, if if two EPR systems have to integrate with each other, then evidence it, and then you know you can be safe in the knowledge that if I buy X, it's going to integrate with Y. The technical bit of the data and the interoperability, park that first. And again, I'm going to sound like I'm banging a drum here, but the outcome of what is it you want to know and what difference is it going to make to how you do things differently, and then work backwards from that. And then understand what information you actually do need or what things do need to speak to each other. And rather than it kind of being, you know, we've got all this data, we need to integrate mm-hmm. with everything and we need to, you know, throw it all into this big warehouse, data warehouse and we're going to have all, you know, that. You might not even need to do that. What you actually try to fix and then that'll help you understand what it is that you're trying to, or what data you need, you know, right the way down to are you capturing that data in the right way in the, in the first place. We see that with our customers. We try and help them visualize and think about the outcomes so it's about radar is about doing things differently as well it's not about just ticking what system you already had and just well now we're going to put it into radar if if that system or those things you were doing were making a difference then you would have seen a reduction in events and you would have seen you know better healthcare, and but you're not so actually how do you how do you start with that and how do you go well actually we would deliver we want to deliver better health for people we want to deliver a better outcome for these people and let's pick an example of like reducing falls for example if I'm not capturing the data in the right way, that then feeds into things like analytics that can then help you understand what's happening. And then you've got the mechanism again for you know implementing something to prevent it. And an understanding again where you've where you think you're making a difference, did it make a difference? You know, again, uh, you know, we've put all these things in place. Did it work? Did, you know, that focusing on that that problem helps drive what you need to feed it into it. Which might be, oh, but to do to know this, we do need to, you know, we do need to integrate with something, or we do need to capture this information, or we do need to bring in this from a different data source. I suppose then that kind of it's another takeaway that a perception that I've got is that in order for us as radar healthcare to play a part in that, right. then we have to be a part of the discussions. Absolutely, yeah. And again, this is kind of a perception from my perspective: is the distance and gap between suppliers not our partners because yeah. when you, p- you partner with an organization to help solve them problems as you've, you've been explaining then it becomes a very collaborative you know engaging process where we become intimate with the outcome the challenges to make sure they've got something one of the things we do at radar is we open up a, a database connection so people can connect their bi platform in so that's what form of integration and then some systems don't have limited um functionality so we can do things like csv and xml imports so they're basically a flat file so you can imagine a flat file being being presented and the system can essentially read that transform it into what it needs and import that into the 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 new system it is beneficial to have someone who's going to sponsor the project and it is beneficial for them to be at a senior level so that they're able to understand how the system fits into the overall business outcomes, the business strategy, um, and can take a step back and, and sort of horizon scan for you. 
The other good thing about having them at a senior level is they should be able to clear the way. They should be able to remove blockers for you as well, which is incredibly beneficial. And they should be able to look at the whole organisation to remove that siloed working that you can easily fall into if you're not careful. As well as a sponsor, I would recommend having a project manager who has time to dedicate to the project, not just a project manager who it's another thing on their list of things to do basically. Um, again, the project manager should be looking at the whole organisation and they should be able to remove blockers to the project for you. I would recommend having some champions and the champions are typically the really enthusiastic people who love change and are willing to give a go and um, know a lot of people across the organisation, quite chatty, willing to talk to people, always volunteering, always sort of ready to give a hand um, they would be your champions get them involved as quickly as possible because they start to spread the good news for you so they really help with their communication strategy um, they will always also be able to identify the people that are going to struggle with the system so that you can start to put some extra support in place if you need to and then get some people who are on the front line and sell the benefits to them as quickly as possible, again, so that they can help with that engagement piece and they can start to spread the good news for you as well. So um, the sales, it starts with the sales team. Obviously, um, they get the sale, they get the signature on the contract, they do all the finance bit of it, and then it gets handed over to me. And I will chat to those sales guys and have an introduction with the customer for the first time. We'll lead on to a kickoff meeting, kicking off their project, um, and then in turn, we sort of have a modular approach to the implementation of radar. So the different modules, events, audits, business compliance and workforce compliance. And we'll gradually work through those, kicking off each of those modules and training them and supporting them with how to configure their system um, in order to achieve those outcomes. Um, which is a very practical um, response, I think. What sort of surrounds that practical thing is making sure that all of that work that we do to configure the system is in line with their strategy, their vision, their objectives, what they actually want to achieve and why they bought Radar. There's a lady I work with and she's doing a fantastic job implementing Radar and I her, her method of doing it is we obviously configure it together, I train her and then she has arranged um, sessions with her practice managers and she makes it a day out you know she makes it the radar day and all the practice managers she has a couple of them across they're all across country and she groups them all together and she'll have a training day she we've provided her with a few goodie bags and stuff to support her in that she's invited her marketing team along and she's making a day out of it and a big thing to really get people bought in um, and excited about radar and she follows that up. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. She was just telling me the other day, she's got a couple of staff that work for her as well. Um, and one of her goals, one of her visions that she wanted to do was have visibility. And visibility is great. And you get there automatically sort of with having radar. It's sort of easy for me to make sure, you know, I do my part of the job. But what good is it if nobody's looking at it, you know? Yeah. So 
And she said, actually, she's supported by these other two ladies whose part it's part of their role to log on to radar every day and just have that oversight. You know, they're not responsible for doing investigations or necessarily creating action plans or completing action plans or, or whatever it is, but they are a little bit distanced from it and just make sure that it's all going smoothly. And if it isn't, they're questioning it and doing something about it. And I think that's that's the little the golden bit, you know, that's the bit on the top of the um, icing on the cake, as it were, to just like realise that last bit um, of the benefits that they're looking for. To kind of start with, almost the way radar works is we're almost like a workflow engine, if you like. So if you think of think of the types of customers we've got at the minute, I'm going to pick a care home for ease of explaining. So that care home might have um, lots of things happening. You know, we might have falls, different types of incidents, complaints, compliments. What Radar's doing is it's ticking those as an input, then typically f- basically digitizing whatever their business process is when one of those things happens. So if in, in the event of a fall, our policy says we do X, Y, and Z. Radar will take that, will digitize, digitize that process. And then obviously the outputs of action plans and learning improvements and all that kind of good stuff. The IUK thing is almost taking that away from just being kind of a human input and saying, well, actually, the risk and the thing, the business processes, if you like, aren't necessarily always driven by a human being. They could be driven by all sorts of different areas. They could be driven by um, devices. So um, I'm going to say IoT, so Internet of Things. So it could be a wearable. It could be a pharmacy fridge. They could be driven by a piece of information um, within our system or within another system or they could be driven from another system itself so that the idea behind the innovation is we we move away from risk management just being about kind of humans for a better way of describing them putting things into a system and expand that out into almost like the bigger ecosystem you know we're bringing in data-driven events, device-driven events. And then it's the same thinking of, well, actually behind that, there's a business, there's a, there's a process that you want to happen when one of these things occurs. So for example, your pharmacy fridge breaks down, your process might be, we need somebody to go and check that the medic- medicine's kind of all right, still in date, or dispose of it properly, or get the facilities guys to go out and fix it. So it, it's that, it's expanding it from just being a human element into almost like a digital one for one of the better way of explaining it. So... In simple terms, Radar Healthcare is going to monitor what's happening um, to automate a response. Yeah, yeah, and that response can be whatever your, as I say, whatever your business process is, your your, your policy probably dictates it, it would be. And then that, that technology and that innovation, I'm guessing, can be expanded. You know, I'm go- going back to a previous episode, but we were talking about lots of data and how you can stop people getting in hospital. Is yeah. that, yeah, that so apply? The, the, the first step is almost what happens when something goes wrong. So if we take the pharmacy fridge example again, something went wrong, you're going to go, you're going to check the medicines within that fridge, you might replace the fridge, get the facilities guys to go. So you've got a bunch of actions that you've taken because this thing has broken down for some reason. The data might be able to tell you before it breaks down that it's going to break down. So you can go off and you can you know, intervene earlier to prevent the thing breaking down. From a patient point of view, you could be talking about a wearable where the, you know, the, the the device said somebody fell over or um, you know they had a, something happened basically, and then you followed whatever the process was post that. If that device was measuring, say, kind of blood oxygen levels for for, for for argument's sake, 
it could be predicting a week, two weeks before, a day before that actually this person is more of risk at falling because they've got low blood oxygen levels. So you get the opportunity to intervene so that the care is preventative rather than reactive. You know, the customers that we work with are the ones who help us generate the ideas around innovation. So we hold workshops where we kind of discuss these kind of topics, almost kind of open forum things where it's about, you know, what, what, what are you doing as a customer? What are you working on? What are the things that are interesting you? So that we almost know, kind of from a market point of view, plus strategically, where are they actually going? What are the things that they're interested in? Um, and then if you are a provider of something like an, you know, uh, an IoT device, then that be, you know, again, you know, reach out to us and we kind of get involved. Um, I think ten years is corroboration that it was the right thing to do. Um, in many ways, that you know, so Lee and I starting a company together, having this idea wanted to make a difference, positive impact in healthcare, and it corroborates the view that it needed it, and it was the right thing to do, it's the right solution. Um, so yeah, I think corroboration, and yeah, just, that, that would be the what it means to me, the 10 years. I suppose it, it, it's like meeting someone for the first time, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah, when you meet someone for the first time, you ask all sorts of inane questions, there's lots of little sort of small <laughs> talk, but the idea of that is to try and get yourselves comfortable with one another so that then you can start to look at and listen for certain key points in conversation that you can then start to build on. And it's a little bit the same with the relationship with the customer. What you're trying to do is understand their business. Then you're trying to understand where does your product fit into their business. Then what you're looking for then is to understand why. Why are they wanting to implement your product? What are they looking for? What are the real sort of objectives and key, key outcomes? The biggest benefits can be derived from the most simplest of things in that commodity activity because it yeah, yeah. occurs to me that technology can pay the part of reducing this manual processes so therefore if we bring some automation through technology then that's going to give time so that people can spend time with patients yeah and do the right, and, and all about that outcome for that individual in the essence you don't want to be in hospital and a robot doctor turns up and kind of yeah. <laughs> hello man yeah yeah <laughs> it's you, you still want that interaction with people don't you you know you yeah. want to know there's somebody there who's literally looking after you yeah. yeah yeah it's just use it at the right time and so people process and technology is just to help yeah yeah i think just on the people thing just before we move off that is is i think it's inclusion of everybody in the ecosystem as well that yeah. i think sometimes lacks that when care pathways are being designed and things like that do they always have the patient at the you know is it patient-centric well we know it's, is it's everything not, is it? it's, it's yeah. evolving yeah. around that and so i think there's lessons for everybody to learn you know, that having that patient at the heart of things and that mapping that whole pathway, and including prevention, then that's got to be important as well. Yeah. And so the community is, it, that, that was it for me. It's almost how do we get the place where we can start to share this content and customers can start helping other customers and start building this, as the word says, community where they're, where they're sharing things. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, before this role, I was customer facing. And one of the things that customers always are asking are, what are other customers doing? Can you put me in touch with, with somebody else who's doing this or somebody else in this sector? And uh, the community is going to give people a chance to kind of get in touch with each other without us kind of needing to be the messenger, so to speak. So uh, yeah, 100% agree. I think it's going to be great. From personal experience, where I've experienced great aftercare, it's because I felt listened to, communicated with. Um, I feel that we've built a relationship. I feel there's flexibility um, all the way through that relationship, both during the sale and following the sale as well. Um, and I think par aftercare 
comes from walking away feeling that something is much more difficult than it should be. What are our best practices? Well, I personally, because ultimately we are a compliance-based software, you know, that looks at risk, looks at audit, um, looks at events, looks at incidents. You know, that, for me, is some of the key things from a compliance-based standard. So, you know, people might not know about 27,001. They might not know it's an internationally recognised standard. They might, you know, they might not know that practically every organisation in the world has certification, you know, all the big players, the Googles, the Microsofts, you know, but they already know about compliance. And I think that, for me, was the biggest win joining the organisation because winning over people in relation to compliance is the biggest challenge. Because when I when I previously was a, an external auditor, you know, auditing organisations against 27001, you know, you used to go in and you used to talk to the compliance person and they used to be stressed, you know, they used to just say, I can't get this across to my senior leadership team, I can't get this across to the wider organisation. And that's because the mindset isn't there on compliance, how important compliance is. They just see it as, you know, a tick in the box exercise. You know, I've, amount of times, if I had a pound for every time I heard that, I'd be a very rich person. Yeah. Um, and they just see it as something extra to the day-to-day role. You know, they don't, you know, they're already crammed out eight till, eight till five, you know. Why do they need to care about this compliance thing? You know, they haven't got time to think about it. And that's where a good, well-implemented compliance structure does work because it shouldn't mean that anyone has to expand out, you know, their eight to five day. It should be just done as a given, if you yeah. see what I mean. And and that in radar healthcare, I personally believe that's that's I'm already you know, we're already there with that because yeah. of the type of organization that we are. And also it gives people the um, the reassurance, I guess, that the people that are answering their question are can see that they've actually they've answered loads of questions. They've got this badge to say that they do know what they're talking about. So I can be assured that actually like that's good advice. Yeah, yeah. almost it's yeah. Like, they're like an extension of radar, really. You know, they're at the yeah. point where I, they are trusted. They have been answering things, yeah. and you know, not necessarily that they work for us, but so almost to a certain <laughs> yeah. degree they exactly. are doing because they're answering questions yeah. on our on our behalf. They, they know what they're talking about. They've had exactly. radar healthcare yeah. for a, a while, and yeah, they, they know what they're doing. And we've got so, a lot of customers like that, haven't we? If you think of yeah. all the all the knowledge that's out there, all these individuals who we speak to all the time, you know, when we're running beta sessions, we've yeah. always got those kind of go-to people, haven't we? 100%. I think it'd be really interesting to see what they're like when they kind of, you know, they all, hopefully they all engage with it and they all pop up on the community. <laughs> yeah. The testimonials, you know, when you read them, I, I, I just love reading them. The, you know, game changer, so glad we bought this, you know, this is, this is the right partner. Yeah, that would be great. Then you'd say, right, I can relax. I can deal with all the, the speed bumps and hurdles. I can only present the options um, and make the recommendations. But I think the more open and transparent and honest you are as you progress through your journey together, the more trust you build. Um, And, you know, it's all about that. It's key. I am incredibly proud of everything we do at Radar Healthcare. I think our teams are absolutely amazing. I would never want any of our partners to experience buyer remorse. Mm. It would be horrible. So it's really heartwarming to have such positive feedback on such a regular basis, and it's not something I've I've sort of experienced before. Um, I know from talking to the teams that 
everyone at Radar Healthcare truly believes in what we're trying to achieve and believes our system is of benefit to everyone working within the, the health and social care sector. Um, and we really want to support those working on the front line so that they're able to see that in practice. So to have the opportunity to work so closely with our partners in making sure that, that the rollout and use of our system is, is a success and that they're able to achieve the outcomes that, that they want to achieve makes me incredibly proud on a daily basis. Thanks to all our special guests who were featured on this week's episode and thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Join us next week for another special episode. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and if you have any questions for us or our guests, please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com. Radar.